0: I know the folks that are actually uh, behind the ATM syndication, if you will, and they're selling six ATMs for I think it's a hundred thousand dollar investment or one hundred and four thousand dollar investment. And as an ATM distributor, I could sell you those same six ATM machines for about twelve thousand dollars. Oh man! So they don't come—they don't come with a home. They don't come with a location, they don't come with a cash loader, they don't come with an income stream, but that's just the straight ATM. This is
1: the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lotes and today our guest is Michael Guthrie. Michael is a high-earning business owner who a few years ago decided to pivot and take advantage of all of the tax advantages in real estate investing he and his wife restructured their business so that she could stay active and he could get into real estate while taking advantage of real estate professional status their active business is an atm distribution business and we dig into why they went for multifamily investing rather than atm investing which has gotten incredibly popular in recent years. But why didn't they go that way? Well, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to discuss the steps that they took so that they could qualify for real estate professional status and take advantage of depreciation and write that off against their active income and so much more. So for high-earning business owners out there who want to take advantage of everything that's out there in real estate investing, this is the interview for you to tune into. It's a great one. You're going to learn a lot. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lotz. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. To date, I've acquired, partnered on, invested in, or otherwise had a hand in over $250 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, schedule a call, and we will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday right now Once again, our guest is Michael Guthrie. Let's go. Michael, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm excited to go through your journey of building up your portfolio and then selling it off so that you could pivot asset classes. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from and
0: what you're investing in today? So I am currently from Scottsdale, Arizona. I lived a spell in California and Spokane, Washington. I own and operate an ATM distributorship nationwide, and we've been using the cash flow from that to go into real estate investments. And uh, we started out by buying single family homes. We grew that to about seven and we've exited those and moved completely into multifamily investing at this point in time and just started to grow that pretty significantly over the last three years.
1: I love to talk ATMs. We will certainly uh, try to circle around to that here during our conversation. But building up those initial seven units before you pivoted into apartment complexes, tell us about that and getting started as an investor.
0: So we were started to make a lot of money in our ATM company. And I'm just going to share that because that's part of what my journey and started to have tax implications. So we decided to invest in real estate to start getting some ability to l- eliminate some tax while growing wealth at the same time. And my wife, I got to grant her credit because it the same in the ATM business. If she told me if I didn't eat, sleep and breathe that we couldn't do it. And she said the exact same thing when we got into real estate. One day we bought a duplex, literally two weeks later, we bought a couple more homes. And then we ended up like three or four months later, li- like literally within a six month period, we owned all seven properties that we ended up having a single family rentals for about 10 years. Great, okay, so at what point did you start having
1: misgivings about that strategy and start considering changing your investment method.
0: When I actually figured out that I could actually invest into multifamily, we were we had joined uh Tony Robbins Platinum Partnership back in 2019, met a couple of people that had been doing multifamily for a while, figured out we could invest in those properties li- as limited partners, and we started to place some capital into those investments and that's what really got us excited about the multifamily
1: space. Okay, so I think a lot of folks when they decide they want to pivot from one real estate asset class or strategy into another can get put off by things like capital gains taxes or depreciation recapture and they might look at things like 1031s and everything else like that. How did you work through that process in your own mind and get comfortable with any potential tax
0: implications or you know, anything you were looking at and making the shift? That's a great question. So me and my wife own the ATM company together, and we decided to remove me from the ownership piece of that company, take me off of payroll, and make me the true real estate professional so that all of my K-1 losses could offset her active income. And it doesn't sound like it's that big of a deal just by the way I'm saying it, but if when you start to put numbers to it, and we were paying mid-six figures annually in uh, taxes on our company, and to eliminate that, and I haven't paid taxes in the last four years in a row to the Fed, it's actually saving us a truckload of money. Although, as you're saying, you're, we're, there's going to be a recapture time frame when, if and when that happens, we'll deal with that. But I think there's other avenues out there, investing-wise, where you can still continue to kick that can down the road while still collecting a little bit of passive income. So when you
1: made those that first pivot over into multifamily, though, had you... Switched over to uh, real estate professional status and taking that step, and you know, s- selling the seven units and getting in your first apartments. Or, you know, d- were you able to use depreciation and all the accelerated depreciation and everything from those first apartment acquisitions to offset?
0: We were able to offset it because we already, we had single family properties that we owned outright, so all of that was passive income. So in 2019, when we jumped into the multifamily space, the K one losses actually offset all the passive income from our rental properties and at that point we had gotten with a new CPA who we consulted with on what we should do and he's the one that came up with the plan that since we own the company we could divert my salary to my wife and take me off of payroll and then I could actually become the real estate professional so we got into more and more real estate investing going forward so that we could actually offset her active income with k-1 losses. Nice, okay. I
1: speak with a lot of folks, a lot of high-earning married couples who are paying huge tax bills and want to take advantage of real estate professional status, but in my opinion, oftentimes they can wind up letting the tax tail wag the dog and just look for something that will give them the maximum deduction rather than looking for a good investment that provides these tax advantages. They put the tax aspect first, How did you avoid that
0: potential trap? I try to find investments that are actually going to cash flow. So I'm getting a little piece of both sides, the tax advantage and the income, because I'm looking to replace, I'm looking to grow that piece of passive income so that I can actually spend more time uh, away from actually the office. So for me, I don't let that piece dictate my full investment strategy. And I'm actually doing some triple net leasing, which there's not a whole lot of tax strategy there but completely more cash flow side available to that. But I do have a decent size Rolodex of folks that focus almost solely on the tax strategy. So the the proverbial tax deferment, tail wagging the dog, is alive and well out there. And I don't know that that's the best strategy, but some people take it right now as their only strategy. Yeah, so...
1: As far as qualifying for real estate professional status, what have you done to meet the hours? I mean you got yourself out of the other job, which is is great, but there's a to get 750 hours a year requirement and a few other things involved. So how have you kept yourself busy and you know qualified for real estate professional?
0: That's a great question because it's not just the 750 hours. you actually have to have significant you have to have some duties on some of those properties that you're actually owning. And as a general partner and 12 of those multifamily deals and a general partner on a couple of the triple net deals that I'm doing, that allows me to continue to become the real estate professional. Cause this is all I focus on is the passive investing side and finding new opportunities to bring investors to invest in. So I'm very
1: curious, being an ATM distributor, ATMs have gotten very popular in recent years kind of in this real estate syndication space, if you will. It's kind of hard to throw a rock without you know running into an ATM investment guy. But what I'm getting out of this is that that is not your investment strategy, although you, at least formerly, you sold those ATMs. Now you, well, your wife technically sells them, but you get the point. How did you, why didn't the ATM investment space
0: grab you? Like, why did multifamily get you? So I know the folks that are actually... Uh, behind the ATM uh, syndication, if you will, and they're selling six ATMs for I think it's a hundred thousand dollar investment or one hundred and four thousand dollar investment. And as an ATM distributor, I could sell you those same eight, six ATM machines for about twelve thousand dollars. Oh man! <laughs> so they don't come—they don't come with a home, they don't come with a location, they don't come with a cash loader, they don't come with an income stream but that's just the straight ATM. So for me to invest $100,000 in something I can buy and go and place myself and put into operation for significantly less, even though I'm paying two grand and if I had to pay two more thousand dollars to get a location and get somebody out there operating, I'm still only in four grand in a machine or $24,000 for the same amount, same investment. And I make a 100% of the return, not just a small portion of the return. So For me, that investment didn't make a whole lot of sense. Although I do have a number of investors that invest in the multifamily space that have put millions of dollars into those ATM syndications. And I think they get more popular as the year gets long. And I think we're starting to get towards the end of the year. We have five months left. And I think we get come October, November, December, and there's not a whole lot of multifamily deals happening this year. I mean, literally in Texas, 80% less deals happened this year so far. Than it th- through the same exact time last year, so there's not as many people trading properties, so that you could trade into your depreciation and or your cash flow aspects. So I think the ATM space is going to play a big role again this year because the company that's doing the syndications is actually taking that money and buying up smaller ATM routes to consolidate that industry, and they've done a very good job of doing it. And the depreciation is worth the worth the dollars you put into it. But
1: it sounds like
0: you, to use a, you know,
1: whatever analogy, you know how the sausage is made a bit too much as far as ATMs go. So that kind of keeps you out of it a little bit.
0: It does. Although the cash flow's is uh, pretty good on the returns. My only quandary is with that is what happens when they get to the size they want to get to, and then they sell that portfolio business. Do Are you done with your, your returns because they no longer own that? piece of equipment? Are they forced to pay that piece out? I don't know what, what's the uh, what's the downside to that other than what happens if uh, the government goes to a digital currency and we no longer use ATMs? What happens at that point in time? I mean, those are things that we're cons- we, we look at it even on our ATM business. What happens when currency, the fungible dollars that we ho- hold in our pocket, when they go away, what are we actually going to do? That's a good question. I mean, personally, I'm
1: not a cash guy. I rarely have cash on me, so I would, you know, honestly, wouldn't hit me that much if cash went away. But I think a lot of folks are are talking about that today. I'd like to dig even more into this idea of real estate professional status, and more specifically, how you've worked with your uh, CPA or tax professional to like make sure you qualify. Because I've been told by CPAs that I've spoken with that. The IRS guards real estate professional status very tightly. They won't just let you have it and your odds of being audited can go up pretty high if you're claiming it and all everything along that. Have you heard that? What have things been like with the CPA? Have you had any issues around getting rep status?
0: I haven't had any issues getting rep status. I think that's because I'm a general partner on the ownership team and actually going out raising money. I deal with investor relations on a week to week or month to month basis. I also sit in on all the property management calls that I'm an owner on, not that I'm just a limited partner on, just the ones that I'm a general partner on. So then I, I actually help operate the business side of those companies. So I actually have substantial duties. And that's one of the requirements that you can't just be a capital raiser or a limited partner to acquire this status. You actually have to have substantial duties on the team on a regular basis to actually acquire, number one, acquire the hours you're going to need to qualify for the status. So it's not just about putting some money into an investment and then sitting on a call, you actually have to have duties beyond that. Okay. So in
1: terms of finding or forming partnerships that have allowed you to scale in the multifamily space. What was your approach there? You're a Tony Robbins guy, so you probably like to get out and talk to people. So I'd imagine that has something to do with it. But
0: what's been your approach? Our approach was to join a mastermind that of some of the top individuals that are actually out there syndicating deals. And that's how we got started putting money into deals as a limited partner. And as we put more and more money into deals, like our first eight or nine deals, we put in a significant amount of money. We got asked to join on a team and raise capital. And that's how we got started. So we've been around people that have been doing it. We've gotten some education from some of the best in the business so that we actually understand how the deals work from the inside out. And I wanted to significantly understand how that actually happens before I went out and actually asked folks. Like yourself to invest in what we're what we're out there buying so that we can actually create returns and opportunities for partners and investors that are out there looking to place capital outside the stock market so in terms of
1: finding folks who might be interested, did you rely on your like existing network from your ATM days or did you get out and do like thought leadership platform? I mean personally, probably, of my investors are listeners of this podcast. The remainder are essentially friends and family. But, you know, this is my method, how I I meet my investors. But for you, what's been successful for you?
0: What's been successful for me is all the relationships I've had since we started the ATM company. And even prior to that, when I was working as an MRI tech in a hospital, just always doing what you say you're going to do. Because at the end of the day, you're as a guy that raises capital on opportunities, you're always being interviewed, just like we are today. There, people are going to either look, at, look us in the face on, these, on this podcast and go, is that somebody I can trust with my money? And at the end of the day, you want to be a man of your word. You want to be integrity. And, you're, and just know that you are always, always being watched as somebody. So people will know whether or not they can actually trust what you say. And, and if they trust what you say, they go, oh, is he going to do what he says? And then they'll be watching you all at all times. And I think that's why we've had success in raising capital, because we do what we say and we say what we do. So in terms of finding the right opportunities and partnerships and
1: everything, it sounds like the people that you partnered with to do these deals, you had previously passively invested with them or, you know, what was your process of building the relationship with them, making sure they were trustworthy, you know, everything along those lines to make sure you were making a good decisions for yourself and your investors?
0: So out of the gate, we would invest in people that were actually on stage and have done multiple deals already. I didn't want to be investing in somebody who's it was their first time. And I know at some point in time, it's always our first time. So I don't want to shy anybody away from the business that wants to go on, raise capital for somebody like you because it's their first time. As somebody that was brand new, only about three and a half, four years earlier, I had to leverage the relationships I created in the mastermind I was in to convince my investor pool that these folks are trustworthy. Yes, they trust me, but do I trust the folks I'm in bed with? And they knew I did based on the amount of money I would put into deals. So sometimes you have to show your trust by what you're willing to risk in an opportunity to get your investors to actually go, I trust what they're actually saying they're, they're, they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's one of the number one questions I get on any deal I go out and raise on. How much are you going to place? How much are you personally putting in this opportunity? Because if I'm only going to put 50 grand in, do, do you think the investor is going to put in 500 grand? No, but on my first, it was really funny. And he snickered. I, I like that. But on my very first opportunity, I was so nervous to raise this money. And I I wanted to place, a I had a lot of capital to place. So I put 500,000 of my own money in there. And I asked the guy, how much, how much do you want to put in? He goes, would well, you put in? I go, 500. He goes, I'll match it. And literally, like my first six calls, people (laughs) mapped my 500 grand. I I wish I'd have put in a million. I'd have been done with six people, right? So it's really, it's a mindset thing. And what's funny is I had talked to my Tony Robbins coach before I even raised my first dollar and I go, God, I got to raise this five and a half million dollars. I don't know if I'm going to do it. And he's like, with that attitude, you're never going to do it. He goes, how do you know when you ask that first person or you get on that call and share that opportunity for person number one? They're not going to write the check for the whole five million. And I go, I don't know. And he goes, Well, don't say no for them before you have they have an opportunity to say yes to you.
1: That is a great point and and very important. And I look at it, it, you know, it worked out. So you chose to make this step from the passive side of real estate syndication onto the active side. And in turn, stepping away from your Duties at the ATM company. Sounds like you were able to do that without taking a hit on the income on that side. But I think a lot of people out there are not sure whether they want to take the step from passive to active in real estate syndication. So, any thoughts on making that step and what made it
0: the right call for you in
1: your situation?
0: What made it the right call for me is I was, I've been in the ATM space for about 27 years. And most of my business comes to me via referral. And I don't actually have to spend a whole lot of time farming for new business in that space because we're fairly well known. So for me, I was looking for a new challenge. I was looking for a way to place my own money to actually grow it. And who better to do it than if you can't rely on yourself, who can you rely on? It comes back to that. So I I do like to trust other people, but I also like to verify that what they're saying they're going to do they are doing. So being on teams of a couple other folks that actually have the same integrity and we're all in alignment with what we want to do, I think that really made it an easier step for me to step away from just investing passively to actually go into the active step. So I think it's
1: interesting that folks reach a certain point where they have half a million dollars to invest in a real estate deal and choose to continue working in some way, right? Because ultimately, we're all making choices. But you chose to get more active in this space rather than just build up passive cash flow and go sail off into the sunset and retire, essentially, you know, early retirement type of situation. Why? Why did you choose to stay active and stay busy rather than, you know, just enjoy the cash cash flow and sit on a beach?
0: I'm too young. I think I know too many people that are uh, five five to 10 years older than I am, and I'm 55, and they've stopped doing everything, and you just see them start to dwindle. And they, they the, the less active they are, less active today, they'll be less active tomorrow, less active the next day. And, and for me, I want to be active every single day. So until I don't feel a need to be active, I'm going to stay active. And one of my missions with the whole capital raising and being in the multifamily side is I didn't learn about this space till early in my fifties. And if I'd have known about this at 25 and started putting $50,000 every time I had a, extra money into an investment, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation because I would have sailed into the sunset maybe 10 <laughs> years ago, but that's or would you, place, right? Or would I, Who? That's, thank you for calling me on my, on my own. Right. I know. I appreciate that. But would I? I don't know. I, I just feel like I owe it to others, other entrepreneurs that are out there, other people that have a W-2, that there is another way either, or an additional way to to increase your net worth and your, your monthly cash flow. But it's, it's not by leaving it sitting at Bank of America earning the 10th of 1%. got to do something. And if you don't make a choice, you've still made a choice to leave it there
1: getting the old rush lyrics in here. I appreciate that. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Well, I love it right now. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Michael, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I hope so. Great. First one. What is the best deal you've ever done?
0: So my very, the the best deal that we've went full cycle on so far was the very first one I got into. I put in, $50,000 $50,000 in December, I think it was December of 18 or December of 19. And January, it would have either been 21 or January of 20, depending on which year we got into it. We got our money back and we were collecting a $600 a quarter distribution on a $50,000 investment. And we, du- we doubled our money in 14 months. That's the best opportunity I've been into. I'll leave it at that. That's, that's been the best one so far, but that's the only one we've exited. So I, mm. that's the one I can speak of. Yeah,
1: great time to be in the market and you know exposed to growth in the market and, you know, and the right opportunity can, can do great things. So we had the best deal, now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst deal. What is the worst deal you've ever done?
0: The worst deal I ever done was getting into a partnership too soon with somebody I didn't know 110%. Still in that deal today, It's still making money. It's still cash flowing. But when you jump into a deal as a partnership and we were a third, a third, a third. So we're all equal partners. And one of them was not as team oriented as the rest, they could be a hard pill to swallow. But as a, as a partnership and with three of us, two of us can actually sort of corner that one, that person or that entity and actually keep them in their box, if you will so that they they don't interrupt the flow of what actually has to happen for the opportunity to continue to soar and make more money. So the worst deal is getting for me has been getting involved with somebody a little too quickly because I might have been a little more I wanted the I wanted the, the that complex but I I probably should I probably could have picked a better partner. Getting to, letting somebody else be on my team too quickly can be a big drag,
1: yeah. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson
0: you've learned in business and investing? Take your time and do your due diligence, but make a decision. Because I've passed on a couple opportunities that I probably should be in, but not every opportunity is going to be the best one. So my advice is do your due diligence, but then make a decision because some the, a lot of these deals, when they go out to fund, fill up before you can, if you take too long before you can actually get in. And the best thing, the best thing that's happened for me in this whole space is raising capital is funding a twelve, thirteen $13 million deal in 11, 12 hours by just having a webinar and people just going right in. And then the next day uh, you get an investment that was on the webinar and you go, Hey, I, I can't get into the, the portal. It's been closed because we're oversubscribed. And so it makes for a good opportunity for the next one. But that's what I I really appreciate about this business is there's always going to be more opportunities. You just have to be waiting for the right one and then be ready to move. Nice. I love it. Well, Michael, thanks
1: so much for joining us today and sharing all these lessons. If folks want to get
0: in touch, where can they find you? So it's really interesting. I I have a ton of friends that are in the syndication business and you could call them and you can't reach them on the phone. So for, for me, 2023, 2024, and 2025, my words are be available. So here's my cell phone. It's 509 270 6701. Text me. Let me know if there's something I can help you out with. I'm pretty good at pitch decks and one pagers. Or you can reach me at Michael, M I C H A E L, at Pacific Capital LLC.com. That's M I C H A E L at P A C I F I C C A P T I T I A L at or llc.com so michael at Pacific capital.com and happy to help out any way i can awesome well thank you so much
1: for joining us today and sharing your knowledge and lessons and to everybody out there thank you for tuning in if you're enjoying the show please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on apple podcast five stars if you don't mind i appreciate that so much that helps us rank higher in the apple podcast ecosystem and that helps other people learn about the show i certainly appreciate you helping us out don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday right now. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.